0: Welcome to the Coach's Lounge Podcast,
1: dedicated to the experiences from the real coaches' offices around the country. These are the great stories we love to share and hear from the gridiron, cord, and fields across America. Now, join coaches
0: Kevin Flanagan and Matt Marshall as they open the lounge now.
1: There you go. Coach playing again, back again, back in the lounge. Got a good – another doozy here. I'm pretty stoked about this one. What are you thinking? I am
0: thinking that I see the high probability of you guys talking about uh, some guys that I have no idea, no idea who you're talking about because, you know, I'm not uh, – I'm not real astute at uh, players' names and all that stuff, NFL guys. So, I enjoy it, but
1: I, I'm maybe – maybe along for the ride here. Ah, come on now. I – I really I'm, I'm I'm gonna fanboy out just a little bit because anybody that comes from uh Houston is involved in sports in any capacity at all, they know many from many different ways who we have in the lounge with us tonight. So John and Lance in the morning, big fan, listen to that for a long, long time. Um, and you hear all over NFL network and anywhere you look up this guy, he's basically he's actually working right now as we're talking, which is you know that story story. (laughs) so why don't we tell the people who we got with us tonight coach we have
0: got uh lance Zerline tonight big lance is uh and and obviously more people know uh him from all kind of different avenues avenues man i'm having a real problem speaking um what that is but uh he is uh all over the place has got a lot of stuff going right now with uh, all the NFL stuff, getting ready for combines and everything else. And so we're, we're fired up to have him And We actually got uh, his brother, Mike on here. Mike works with us at, at Tomball. And so we got uh, the
1: duo, the brothers, both of them tonight. So fired up. All right. So Lance, real quick. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Obviously I'm not joking when I say that you're actually doing work for other things while we're talking here. So you're uh, dispelling the theory that men can't multitask that you hear so many women say. So
2: dinner, <laughs> podcast, and game tape of uh, who am I watching? A uh, edge rusher from Western Michigan.
1: Okay, so <clears throat> you, we're gonna get into all this crazy stuff that you do and all the different hats you wear and how many things that you got going on. But what do you watch or what do you have fun doing when you're not doing this? Being the go-to escape for most normal everyday joes
2: uh you know i watch a lot of netflix hulu streaming stuff i like to watch series and i'll knock out a whole series i mean it's it's uh when i'm not doing this you know you kind of so i'll do radio in the morning from seven to ten and then from november through about february i'm really really busy so i work usually seven days a week for those three months, four months. And uh, so I might have a day or here or there where I take it off, but usually it's going to be Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, in that neighborhood. And of course I just got back from the senior bowl mobile. So I didn't write any players up for three days, but other than that, I'm going seven days a week. And when I need a brain break, I, I just like to put something on that. I don't have to think a whole lot, find a, find a series uh, that I can kind of stream and and watch and just take my mind off the work that I'm doing. So that's usually what I'm doing. That's usually what I'm watching is, you know, streaming shows. And then when I go home, uh, spend time with the wife and the kids and then get in bed, maybe watch a, watch a game if I need to for, for the rate for the radio show. And if there's no games on or, or whatever the case may be, then I'll, I'll turn something else on and, and try to watch something before I go to bed and hit reset and do it all over the next day. That's crazy. It was like a
0: good deal. sounds like we need to actually, I was thinking <laughs> if you wanted to come to Tomball and coach, cause Mike actually has the other deal. He, he works one day a week and then he takes six off. So I oh, get hell nothing of out of him
1: ever. Is, he, is that his airline thing or is he a product of the environment he's in? <laughs> you think Lance,
2: it must be a Tomball thing. Cause he used to work. <laughs> I know he used to work. He was, he was grinding before. I don't know. What I've seen pictures him. of him too. What he used to look like too. And so just. <laughs> I'm just telling you he must have got there made the playoffs and then got a big head.
3: Father yeah. time is undefeated, buddy.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, so what's what's like what's the the buzz that's keeping you going right now that that you have to focus a lot of your energy on and all that work.
2: Well, I mean, there's two different ones. The for the radio, it's you know who the Texans are going to who the Texans are going to uh, bring in as a head coach. That's the, that's the big one right now. And then after that, it'll turn into who the Texans might draft, what will happen with Deshaun Watson, And that, that takes up a lot of the energy right now from a radio standpoint. Um, you know, we had Carlos Correa talk going for a while, but then baseball shut down and there's no more free agency for right now. So that's kind of shut that down. Um, always, always NFL talk and college football talk. We've, we've had a lot of NIL talk to Brian Flores lawsuit against the nfl that that of course has been very hot the last couple of days and then you know my other life where i do my nfl draft stuff which is completely separate you know that that is really more about for me just getting through i have 500 draft profiles after right so i watch all the coaches tape on it and, and watch the pertinent snaps that i need to watch for every player and so that that just is a that's just a war of attrition. But right now I have my first mock draft coming up. The uh, NFL assigned me, my editor assigned me to put out a a mock draft on Monday. So I have to finish my first mock draft on Monday. So uh, that's, this is the time of year where people start getting excited about mock drafts and who people are projecting, you know, to their particular teams. So that's, that's going to start taking up a lot more of my energy and time as well. When I go to Indianapolis for the combine at the uh, end of February into early March. And then of course these mock drafts is they just, you know, fans eat them up. They'll tell you you're terrible. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll share it with other people and they, they learn about certain players they didn't know about. So it's fun. It's all part of the process and, and, uh, so, so I live kind of a dual life, the the local sports stuff and national sports stuff, but then also my highly specific NFL draft stuff. So it's two very different things. And sometimes they marry when it comes time to start talking about who the Texans might draft. Then I'm doing both at, at the same time.
1: Uh, uh, coach plan. Mike was, uh, coach plan was saying that, uh, you still haven't completed your water by number sheet yet that you turned in. You're supposed to turn in your brother's doing all this other stuff, but, uh, your little paint by numbers thing still hadn't hadn't been turned in and completed apparently. His fat fingers are awesome for the uh, painting. Deal, though. He's got great finger painting uh, skills. No one wants to see any
3: artwork by me. Believe. me.
1: <laughs> hey, make sure you check us out on social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the same. At Real Coach Lounge. Let me say that again. At Real Coach Lounge hook up with us let us know on facebook you're there let's start a chat let us know what you like what you don't like questions things you want to hear things you don't want to hear all that fun stuff this is a podcast for everybody we just happen to be sitting in the lucky seats asking the questions and enjoying the laughs but you guys are the ones that this is for join us on social media and let's all enjoy this fun ride together I got to be honest with you. I've always wondered it. And so now I have somebody who's a pro that I can actually ask this question to. I would. One of the things that drives me the most crazy is people that are, they swear they know all this stuff, but they have no facts. They're just regurgitating what other people have said or they've heard and they haven't done any research. Have you ever just lost it on somebody because they won't shut up about a topic and you know they're wrong and it just drives you nuts? And then how long before? You're like, you know what? I would be miserable every day if I had, if I let this keep bothering me.
2: Yeah. Uh, Mike, when he was trying to tell me that Louisiana high school football is better than Texas high school football back in about 95. Ouch.
3: Wow. If I was still doing that, that. it would have been more like around 88 when I was playing there. (laughs) It wouldn't have been 95 when I was coaching here. Oh, yeah. It wasn't 95. I I did prep Lance. For his current job today, because anything he said when we were growing up, I was opposite of, whether I believed it or not. So I was—I I want to take credit for him learning how to have a debate and argue with people because I have made it my point in life to never agree with him.
2: That's true. He was a contrarian then, and if you follow him on Twitter, he still is.
3: Just a bit, <laughs> just a bit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. Like, you know, sports <laughs> arguing. My sons, my boys. I've got kids at home who, um, you know, follow sports and argue about it all the time. And, and they kind of regurgitate what they hear. A lot of them, my, my 17 year old who goes to straight Jesuit, he does, he, whatever he hears on, you know, whatever he's watching, if it's skip Bayless and Shannon sharp, or if it's Colin coward or whatever, you know, he hears those. And I told him, I said, listen, that's great that, that you're thinking, you know, that, that you're you're taking the information in and processing that and all that, but sometimes you need to take that information and then go check it out and and make your own opinion, you know, create, be a, create a critical thinker because you may not agree with what you're hearing and you need to go get, put facts to it, go get stats, go do some research so that you have some information. And I guess the the problem that like right now around draft season is probably the most frustrating to get to, the point that you just made, because I've spent all this time studying these guys, watching them, watching rep after rep, the good, the bad. I've, I can, I can, I can take, go to cut ups and make it faster so I can see every bad rep you had as a, as a run defender uh, or offensive lineman, every good one, uh, all your pass pro stuff against certain pass rushers, if I want to see it. And so I've put all that work in and then I have people who I know have spent very little time maybe watching a couple of games on tv and then reading what other people's opinions are and then they come tell me how wrong i am about a player evaluation or a mock draft and i just think you have spent no time on this and you're coming after me like i haven't like like i haven't put in the work i don't mind being wrong but don't tell me that i <laughs> that that you know better than me when you haven't even put the work in and you can't even argue your point properly. So, yeah, that can get a little frustrating when I know I've put all these hours and hours and seven days a week doing this for multiple months. And then I have some screwball come on, come at me on Twitter because I didn't put the guy, uh, you know, in the mock draft to his team that two or three other group think guys who don't, who also are just quick to put the mock drafts out because they're regurgitating what they're hearing. You know, then I have to deal with that usually in January and February, but it all kind of, evens out once people catch up to the work that, that, that people are actually putting in with film study and, and things like that. Yeah. Sounds
0: Which, like a I bunch of coaches a, I know that do the same thing. there's exactly. the am
3: <laughs> about to say the exact same thing, and it's it's funny because my Lance doing what he's doing now has that opportunity to feel what my dad and I feel all the time. My dad was on a bigger level than me, of course, but questioning everything. Someone who has no idea what they've seen, what's happened on the game has not watched any film at all, but basically knows everything we should be running and everything we're doing in bed. And we get that from all angles. And that, uh, you know, Lance was, had his job in radio, but when he started doing the NFL.com stuff and he was starting to get uh, feedback from his picks, then he got to kind of feel, experience the stuff that, that dad and I did.
2: Well, I did also, but through, you know, just – yeah. Being dad's son. I mean, listening to to the things people said or, or reading things. I mean, it's it's you know, it's frustrating to this day, knowing that my brother's a coach, my dad's a coach. They've both uh, been on on the offensive side and hearing people talk about how bad play calling is play calling like they have any idea. What is called, what the quarterback is reading? Is the quarterback doing his job uh, in terms of getting through his progressions and recognitions? Does he get the protection set? Like there's the idea that play calling, I'll give you an example Tim Kelly, who just um, was fired from the Houston Texans. I'm not here to say whether he should still be a coordinator or not. It's irrelevant. New head coach is going to bring in his own guy anyway, more than likely. But I guess he was a bad play caller when Deshaun Watson didn't make plays, but when Deshaun Watson had a, had all the the success in terms of touchdowns and yards passing, that was all Deshaun. So the bad stuff wasn't Deshaun. It was only Tim Kelly's play calling. The good stuff was all Deshaun. It had nothing to do with Tim Kelly. Well, that's just, you know, it's, it's just, it's asinine to think that that's the way people think, but that, that really is. So all you can do is try to educate people a little bit and, and be a little bit patient. Um, when when you're talking to people and and so my platform on the radio, I try to bring stuff up like that just so people will maybe think a little bit differently because there's so much that we just can't possibly know. Even guys like you guys who are coaches who understand the X's and O's, there's only so much you can know when you're when you're watching, especially if you don't have an all twenty-two view. You know, it, it makes it really difficult. Guys, Matt
0: and I hope that you guys enjoy listening to the Coach's Lounge as much as we do recording it. We have a heart for coaches, and we've done this because we want to archive all the great stories and let people know just what great people coaches are and the great experiences. With that, today we were sitting around the coach's office, and the subject of health care costs came up, and I couldn't help but hear our coaches talk about the frustration, the fact that the small raises that they received this year were eaten up once again, by the rising cost of healthcare, And so I had to share with them something that I want to share with you that me and my wife have found that's helped our family tremendously and it's called Impact HealthShare. Now, HealthShare is not traditional insurance. It's an alternative to traditional insurance and it's being used by millions and millions and millions of people, been around for over 40 years. Basically, long story short, what it's done for us is for me to add my wife to our school insurance would have cost about $700 a month and it dropped it to $250 a month. Now, I don't know about you, but that's significant. And $500, $450 a month is a big deal to me and my family. Hey, take a look at it. We've created a special link here for lounge listeners. You can get a free quote very quick without giving a lot of information. See if it's for you. That link is kflan212impact.com. That's K-F-L-A-N-212impact.com. Check it out. Impact HealthShare. It's the bomb
1: yeah that's a good you brought up a great point let's uh let's tell everybody who your dad is and and that doesn't already know you guys explain obviously you guys are both good football minds Uh, you see a lot of that happen when they're the the sons of a coach a lot of times too Mm -hmm. so so tell us a little bit about dad
2: yeah so uh our dad is um was a college high school college and nfl coach actually junior high high school college nfl coach that's that's how it went. He's been in. Uh, he's been a head coach on a high school level. He has been an offensive line coach and uh, an offensive coordinator for for one year at University of Houston. He got to start at U of H. Uh, was coached at Tulane, at LSU, at University of Cincinnati. Um, he coached briefly in the World League of American Football, which became NFL Europe. He uh, during his time in, in Cincinnati in 1999 and 2000, he was on a staff with Rex Ryan, uh, Mike Tomlin, Jimbo Fisher. It was an unbelievable staff. Wink Martindale, a um, guy named Amos Jones, who's coached in the NFL for a long time. And anyway, uh, during that time, he, he met Mike Tomlin, obviously. And uh, we'll get to that in a second. He was hired by Butcher Davis. When Butch took over the Cleveland Browns in 2001, and that was his first NFL coaching job. Butch didn't know my dad. He just asked around and asked people, you know, who's the guy that I need to hire? I need a technique guy. This, that, and the other. Kind of, he got a bunch of people responded. Larry Zerline, He's a he's a coach at University of Cincinnati. Nick Nick Saban tried to hire him at um, LSU a, a couple of times, and and he just my I don't think my dad wanted to work for Nick. That's a that's a tough grind. Um, well, also
3: he, he got a raise from that Cincinnati got him a raise. And, uh, a true story is I was in Bay city in 2000 and, uh, Saban comes into the office. He's recruiting two of our linebackers and I go up to him and say, Hey, coach Saban, Mike airline. He goes, yeah, I know you are. I got your dad a raise. I said, okay, I'm, probably don't need to ask you for a GA spot then. huh? <laughs> That's
2: right. So my dad went to, uh, Cleveland Browns was there for four years. Whole staff got fired. Well, uh, you know, Butch got fired, so the whole staff ended up going. And then um he spent a year with the uh the Buffalo Bills and then Mike Tomlin reached out when he got the head coaching job at Pittsburgh. My dad went to Pittsburgh, won a Super Bowl ring, ended up retiring, came out of retirement to to go uh with Bruce Arians, who he had been with at Pittsburgh as well with Mike Tomlin. Bruce went from the Colts over to Arizona. Uh, my dad went over to Arizona, came out of retirement and really enjoyed himself. In, in Arizona had, I think the most fun he had coaching for a long time because it just, he didn't let the pressure consume him. Then he had just, it was just really just closure for him on his career. And um, that's some good success. I mean, Arizona did pretty well. Bruce has done well everywhere he's been obviously. And then uh, he retired and now he does, he works, uh, he has his own football, you know, uh, clinic, the Lone Star Coaching Clinic, and he works with uh, NFL draft prospects. I introduced him to some, to some uh, agents about two or three years ago. So I guess over the last three years, he's been working with NFL offensive linemen uh, anywhere from three to five, and uh, he really enjoys it, gets to, gets to teach and coach still and without all the meetings and all the other crap you guys have to do.
1: So let me, I've always wondered, wonder this, and I've never really thought to ask anybody, but why as well, there's growing up a coach's kid, there's a, it's a unique fraternity. There it's a, something that not anybody else really will understand. So what, what is some of, one of y'all's favorite, what's some of y'all's favorite memories of growing up a coach's kid with each other, against each other, at, despite each other, whatever. Did you what? say memories or memories? No uh, memories that only like other coaches' kids listening would. would
2: I, I tell you I one. I tell you one. uh, My dad ended up kicking Mike out of his bedroom and moving him into mine, so he could turn Mike's room into a film room. <laughs> I know that happened <laughs> at one point. And do you remember that like Mike sitting, on uh, lane? I, I yeah, he got kicked out of his out of his bedroom, and we started sharing a room, so my dad could turn that into a film room. And this is film when it's you know, your splice real to real, real to yeah. real. And he'd be in there watching and he'd call me in like as a, as a nine and 10 year old, I didn't obviously care about it as much. So I, he had me come in there and look at something that the Miami dolphins were doing. Or he tell me that Carl <laughs> mock wasn't a very good center. You know, like this guy gets a lot of attention, but he's really not that good. Um, he showed me tape of uh, Kirk Gibson. Who's, you know, famously a, a world series winner. We watched him when he was at Michigan state as a wide receiver, he turned tape on and had me watch. Michigan State stuff. Um, had me watch a rub play, uh, a rub route against the, uh, was a, it was, it was a Oakland Raiders ran a little rub route on the, in the end zone and, uh, near the goal line. That was the first time I remember seeing that. So he tried to show me little things and I kind of do the same thing with my kids sometimes and just see if I plant a seed that maybe one day will grow or be a, become a memory for them. Um, I don't know. Uh, Mike also, and I. Yeah, go ahead. One of, the,
3: one of the favorite things growing up for me was A, he would bring, he, you know, he's a U of H when they were running the beer, and they used to wear these tearaway jerseys. And uh, he would bring those home to us, and that that was cool. But always being around the players, and we had them over. We'd have a bunch of them over for Thanksgiving. And, you know, just th- those were the things that were great growing up, is, is being around all of that. And one of the funny, and I don't even know if, if Lance remembers this, but had to be. Early 80s, like 82, 83, uh, Houston's playing AM up at AM, uh, when they still had the regular turf field and it didn't rain, but somehow the turf was wet. And I'm not sure how that happened. But um it, it's a, uh, it's a seven to six game and Houston scores to make it seven to six, and they go for two for the win, and the fullback slips in the end zone on the wet turf. He was open in the flat and they lose seven to six. So we're leaving the stadium. And right next to us pulls up Clyde Drexler and uh, Michael Young from Five Slam and Jammer, and Dad's got the window rolled down. And Clyde looks over and says, "Hey, we'll get him for you in basketball." Oh. <laughs> and
1: me and my brother are going, "Yeah!"
3: And Dad's going, "I don't give a damn." <laughs> See,
2: I thought I, I I thought I remembered. I think you're right. I because you're more specific. I remembered it being. After they w- beat Baylor when that happened, but I think you're and when we were in Waco, but you may be right. But me and Mike were shocked like, you know, Clyde and, you know, Clyde and Michael Young. And of course, my dad, you know, they had the same athletic facility with Clyde, Michael Young, uh, Akeem Olajuwon. We got to go to some of some of their practice. We went to a lot of we, – well, we went to practice before Final Four, but we went to a lot of the games. We'd go to home games. We'd go to some of the Southwest Conference tournament games. So, like, we're watching Akeem Olajuwon as a freshman. And true story, our grandmother, who passed away in, in 2017, she was a monster college basketball fan, and I, I don't say that lightly. She a huge college basketball fan. Um, went to two different Final Fours, and – um I remember she was in town in, in nineteen eighty two for one of for one of dream's uh earliest games at University of Houston I mean he was raw 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 and it was it was the second half of the game somebody <clears throat> somehow eljuwan i think Eljuwan blocked the shot and the action went back the other way the offense went back dream kind of hung back and u of h you know, um, oh, no, no. Dream was on offense. The other team went the other way. There was a turnover. So everyone went that way. Dream kind of hung back. Houston got the rebound. They threw it almost linked to the court to Olajuwon, who was at the top of the key. And he basically caught it and just ran to the, to the rim and dunked it like three or, three or four steps. Didn't dribble, nothing. And, you know, they called travel. My grandma turned to my mom and he's never going to be a good player. <laughs> which is the worst scouting report of all time is that she was, <laughs> she made a point that what's so good about him. He's never going to be a good player. And, uh, you know, little did she know? And then she ended up by the end of the year, she ended up making a trip to new Orleans to go watch Houston play North Carolina in the final four. And Her and my, so, mom, were
3: the, her and my mom were in Albuquerque for the, uh, the terrible ending of that game. Yeah. Oh,
0: exactly. man, it's wondering by the way, uh, Mike is, uh, when you talk about a coach, that's really prepared. He's actually really involved in this Ukrainian, uh, Russia deal. He's actually doing the show tonight from uh, a bunker. He's a prepper. (laughs) You can tell by the sound quality. My
3: my wife was in charge of lighting, so she might not get rehired for that job.
0: (laughs) She locked your butt down there. She's (laughs) gone. (laughs)
3: Oh, Lance
0: did, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know you well enough to know. I know Mike's a big guy, a tall guy, and, and and big guy. Ever, uh, he kind That's of nice way you earlier. That's
3: why you not calling me fat.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> he, he, tell me, he ever put you in a headlock or anything?
2: He did. I was the big brother, so I had you know, I had a pretty good advantage for quite quite a while. Mike was, Mike was, Mike wasn't small, ever, but he was like, uh I mean, he wasn't a grinder out there. He was, we had to, you know, like we'd play, it, it was, there was four of us. So we needed everyone to participate. If it was going to be two on two wiffle ball, two on two basketball, you know, we might get a third person we could as a, as an all-time quarterback. So we could play, you know, two on two football. So we had to, so, and every once in a while, Mike would just pack it in. Just like, nah, I'm done. I'm going to go watch the Cubs on TV. Like, what are you doing? We're trying to finish here. He'd go watch a cartoon or he, you know, I'd piss him off. I'd do something jerky, older brother stuff. And he'd go (laughs) threaten to tell mom.
3: Choice C is what was most of watching
2: cartoons. (laughs) You did watch some Porky Pig, I imagine sometimes. Yeah. So (laughs) anyway, so I had, you know, I had a good, I had an advantage on him. Like most older brothers have I'm watching it at my house right now. A lot of times it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I was I was bigger than him, but not not a lot bigger. Just a couple of years older, but I was bigger than him. But he started to, you know, get bigger, obviously, quickly uh, from, you know, as he became an offensive lineman. And I'm a basketball player. So it was, you know, it was a little different there. And uh, I'll never forget. We were in we were in New Orleans. We were living in New Orleans and um, Mike was going to John Curtis High School and it would have been his senior year. And I was uh oh uh, senior year. Yeah. And it was my second year. Maybe we we're in the summer headed into his senior year. And I just finished my freshman year at Tulane and and it was summer. And I, we got in an argument about who knows what it was controller for the TV. There's no telling what it was. We got in an argument about something and it got, you know, like kind of push and shove and he snatches me in a headlock and like down around his waist. And I'm just thinking, uh, you know, you don't really think logically. I just think, well, I'm going to push him through this sliding glass door, which <laughs> my head would have been, my head would have gone right through it. Like it would have been the dumbest move ever. And he just anchored down. I mean, I couldn't move him. I couldn't get out. And I don't, I don't remember. I got out, but I remember thinking that at that point, I remember at that point thinking, well, <laughs> this is going to turn into psychological warfare. Now we're going <laughs> to, we're gonna change this up now. It ain't gonna be the physical. We're just oh, gonna, I, we're just gonna, we're just gonna turn into Hannibal Lecter now.
3: Yeah. Uh, I benefited from my, I benefited from my move to New Orleans because my strength coach here was Tommy Moffitt, who was uh, at LSU for just got actually just lost his job at LSU when Brian Kelly came in. So I got, a, I had gotten a whole lot stronger between moving from Texas to moving to Louisiana, and once I felt that, I had the confidence to put him in a headlock. I wasn't going to hit him, but I also know he's claustrophobic. So I played through that. There
1: you go. <laughs> I want to traumatize him, not
2: just scare him. <laughs>
3: that's, that's, that's the, that was probably the main part of our relationship growing up was who could mess with whose head more. Well,
2: uh-huh. speaking of, speaking of, uh, your time in Louisiana at senior bowl, I went and introduced myself to coach O Ed Ogeron was there. And, uh, he, uh, I said, coach, uh, I said, my, uh, I'm Lance Zerline. I do the NFL stuff. And I said, my brother was in Nichols when you were there. He's the one who told me you're baby Ogeron. You're not Ed Ogeron, you're baby. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, right. I remember Mike. I remember him. So, he said, remember? He, he, and he knew who our dad was. And so, we talked for a little bit. And, and, Mike, who is Manny Michel? He was with them.
3: He was our defensive line coach at John Curtis when I was there. And then he went to, like, Louisiana and McNeese.
2: Okay. Well, he was with Coach O there at the senior bowl. So he introduced yeah. cause you know, he, uh, I told him that you were, you know, also a Curtis guy. And, yeah. and so that's, you know, Curtis, John Curtis football is like a, a Louisiana football mafia. You just, once you're connected there, you're, you're, you're well connected throughout the state. You're made, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So Mike went from, and that's how getting to the earlier story, Mike, his first two years were in, in Texas high school football. Um, and then, You know his next two, he went to Louisiana and he won a state championship his junior year as a starter. And then, I don't know did you get to semifinals or finals when you got beat? We actually no,
3: we lost in the we lost in the second or third round, and it was the first time uh, the school had not been to the state championship in twelve years. Wow, we got pretty good run. We We were probably better athletic. I mean, had a better team my senior year, but we just you know. It's a a different story for a different time, but we didn't have some of the stuff that you would need to have to win a state championship when when it came to the leadership part.
1: So growing up, obviously you guys just alluded to stuff that brothers do. What is the biggest fight y'all have ever been in? Do you remember it? I I, want to see if you guys remember it both as the same one or if you have ideas of which one was bigger than the other, if y'all agree or
2: not. It's a one-way deal, but I'm sure Mike will tell it the same way. Oh, I
3: almost forgot about it. Go ahead. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I was, uh, it was the summer, summer after my senior year of high school, Mike would have been after a sophomore year of high school and we had moved into this house and, um, the front yard was just kind of a smallish front yard. No big deal. The backyard was enormous for whatever reason, just a really big backyard on a corner lot. I think it was – we may have been the corner house. Um, not we the corner house. I don't, I don't understand how the no, backyard it was, was so big.
1: We were huge, yeah.
2: But here's the deal. We were – we we were. I think it's safe to say we were a little bit lazy when it came to to work around the house. But We had to – like most kids, we had to mow the yard and edge the yard. At least I had the edge yard once – my mom liked to do it, but you know, my dad said we're so we were mowing the yard from the time we were 11, 12, whatever, and edging the yard. And then so once we moved moved into this house, was the great big backyard. You know, we I, at some point we we're like, okay, you do the you do the front yard, I do the backyard. We had started we had started doing that at the other house we lived in, and then I would do the the edging once I learned how to to do the edging with the weed eater. And so. um, Mike, but, but at this, at this house, we said, okay, here's the deal. You do the front. Whoever does the front also has to do like half the back. Cause that's how big it was. Okay. So I did the front yard. <clears throat> so Mike was supposed to do the backyard. He didn't do it. It, it kept ran. getting higher. It can well, I don't remember it that way. <laughs> it kept getting higher and higher. And before you know it, like three days later, Mike mowed the front yard again. It was not, there was nothing there and he was done and didn't do anything in the backyard and I had to do the whole backyard. And I was so pissed off that this, I mean, it's like a jungle back there. It hadn't been, it hadn't, you know, how fast grass grows in the summer. And, and especially when we're getting all the rain, this would have probably been about May. So we I mean, we're getting plenty of rain and the grass is just shooting up and it hadn't been mowed for about two weeks. And, uh, I don't remember. And I was like, you ha- you need to mow the backyard. You need to mow the backyard. And, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He said, he's going to do it. He didn't do it. And I, I guess I just went and got a, a, a meat tenderizer. You guess You don't guess you did. I don't remember why I did it, but I got yes. a meat tenderizer and he went up. I was so frustrated and hit him in his arm with this meat oh, tenderizer. It was
3: in my hand and I had the imprint from the, from the, <laughs> the I hit you in tenderizer. your hand. Yes. And your it arm? Was actually on the day of your graduation.
2: I don't remember that. And I do remember
3: on your radio show. Know it really well. I've you told that story. that story.
2: Yeah. I've told that story a few times, but, uh so he obviously snitched on me and, uh, and I, uh, I gotten a, I gotten a lot of, tr- my, my, my our mom was really pissed off about that, that Here's I was imagine.
3: If, if my brother would have just two pieced me in the face, he would have been okay. Cause <laughs> We 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 really I mean we'd argue and stuff, but we didn't have a whole lot of fist fights growing up. And my dad, I want to say because he and his brothers did, my dad would get a little frustrated with that, and he'd want us to box each other. Or fight. I mean, I think he wanted us to fight more. So if I would have got a if I'd caught a, a jab to the mouth, I think I would have he would have been okay. But he had to go get a foreign object,
2: <laughs> and we had some I must have seen it in Houston mid south wrestling at some point. <laughs> ah, Paul Wash uh, style. Yeah, oh, but I are. uh No, but yeah, my dad would he had boxing gloves and so sometimes we would box and I'd take the boxing gloves and I'd smash them together until the padding was was kind of So basically you're punching with a full fist. <laughs> I mean, it just happened to have a glove on. And I mean, we would box. I never, bought, I, I, never I, I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> I just thought that was that's just I what you did. Horrible. Sounds like it so actually, we get in some pretty we get in pretty good boxing matches from time to time too, but we were always competing doing something. I mean, if we weren't playing outside, we would um you know play stratomatic baseball or but we, we, would, we can never
3: be on the same team. We no I think we grew up playing playing baseball uh and I got picked on a different team than him, which was just brutal to my mom because you know, my dad's not a, not there, can't do anything, and so she's at the ballpark basically every night. My sister was playing T-ball, and she was there all the time. So as we got older, the last time we both played Little League ball, we both played on the same team. We, we asked literally the screaming there. matches out there on the on the field with each other.
2: Yeah, shut up, Mike. And, you know, he told <laughs> yeah. me to do something when I was <laughs> pitching or at third base. I told him to I shut told up. you to
3: throw the ball home because I thought you had to play at the plate. But I remember it.
2: Hey, so who? who Mike's <laughs> hung on to a lot of stuff over the years, as you uh, can tell.
1: Very much so. I mean, he looks way more decompressed. Like he, like he's been waiting for an opportunity just to let you know some of this stuff. Who's the more competitive out of y'all two?
2: Um, I, I mean, I don't know now. I think back then I was, but you know, um, I think I was back then. But Mike could be Mike. was, Mike was easy, pretty easy to get along. I mean, he was an arguer, but he got along with most people and he wasn't one of those surly chippy guys. So uh, like he wasn't ever dirty whenever we played, he didn't, you know, we, we had a couple friends who, who could get like that, who are pretty competitive. We were, we were both competitive, but not overly like it wasn't overly, but as an older brother, I mean, I, I wanted. I never wanted to lose to him at anything. Obviously you never want to do that, but we got in some pretty good, um, our stuff was always it was me and John Harris, who's the sideline reporter for the Texans now. It was him and then my brother and a guy named Mac Jones, who ended up playing uh, baseball at Baylor. Who was actually yeah, his, his dad, dad was is a
3: head coach at HBU for a little bit.
2: And Rice one. and an assistant at, at Houston. So he was, so Rich, yeah. he was uh, and he grew up playing against a lot of college basketball players when he was in seventh and eighth grade. So he was he was a good basketball player, good football player. He's, I think he was he was all district in three sports and all state in at least one of them. So. Um, so we had some really, really competitive matchups between the two on two. It just wasn't one-on-one. It was when we had our teams, our, our, our teams, we got really, really competitive then.
3: And honestly, Um, because we probably, because we couldn't, we were, we were competitive against each other. We didn't do a whole lot of play of one-on-one. I mean, we played shooting games and stuff like that, but one-on-one would probably get a little bit too chippy. So we didn't do that a lot.
1: What about, uh like a player or somebody that you notoriously disagree on one being, you know, have differing opinions and it just drives y'all crazy. Y'all have to any- tell
3: you, I'm going to tell you a story about not a player, but a movie.
1: Okay. I'll tell you
3: I'm kind of oh. contrarian. So we're at John Harris's wedding. We, he was in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're flying down there. And um, we have a rental car. We're going back to the airport. And he tell I mean,
2: and he tells me that he, that, I would like the airport. The airport is in North Florida. Okay. About so, 40 minutes away from Jacksonville.
3: So so he tells me I would like Pulp Fiction. Me, of course, says, nope, no way in the world I'm going to like Pulp Fiction. So we are, I mean, and it's a very heated argument. Now we're both in our mid 20s by this point. <laughs> we're having a heated argument about this. We argued so much, we ended up in Georgia before we realized where
2: we were. I kept driving, missed everything. I was yelling at him. He's yelling back. Like, how can you not, how can you say you don't like something when you've never even seen it? You know, that's why you're a picky eater too. And Baba, cause he used to be picky eater. You hear that yeah. tab right there? He said, it used to be meat what is it? were you just meat just plain meat and bun yeah hamburgers? Uh,
3: none of the i'd be the type of guy that went to mcdonald's and ordered something without onions so we had to wait there for a long time
1: <laughs> hey so what's wrong with pulp fiction mike
3: well nothing now <laughs> now that, that it, you've watched it, it. Yeah. it's still that way now he, he told me a long time ago to watch the series succession oh great show and i refused to watch it for a for a long time, just because no one's going to tell me what to like. And so then- it's out of stubbornness.
0: <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. But now
3: I'm like, I can't wait till the next season comes how on. How do you I'm actually get in an out.
0: argument? You get in an argument that you, you will not like a show and you've never seen it. I don't even know uh, how to Yes.
3: Because, well, that was old. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm a little older now, so I probably don't do that anymore.
2: Hey, hey, Mike, Mike, we're only You only just did it with seasons. Succession. There's only been three seasons <laughs> of Succession, argue, I just
1: thought about it.
2: It's a it's a great show. I don't know how you're still married the way you <laughs> you can't. I mean, how you talk to people like, man, I'm not gonna. do it. You're not gonna tell me what to do. I've seen you. your wife. That- I know your wife. Lisa's not gonna let you run through the house like that. I know that. Well, for a that fact. And that's
3: why I don't talk to
2: her like that. I know who I can get away with. Oh, with. okay. I was about that's to slice
3: in the bunker right now. that's why that's why I don't get to sit out in the living room
0: Y'all have like a weight set in the height in the in the house growing up because you had to have a uh a lat machine because Mike has the largest (laughs) lats and that I've ever seen it's unbelievable all natural all natural
2: I got you (laughs) we had weights but we never lifted we didn't lift we just played and at at some point every once in a while something would set my dad off and he'd just be pissed off like you guys don't even lift weights you're not strong enough you're not like you know, it'd be something would would <laughs> piss him off probably at work and then you come home and see shoes around the house and it spirals into a bunch of stuff you know you start walking hey, around the house looking at things you're pissed off he,
3: he'd get frustrated with stuff like they came out with that new like they come out with a new squishy ball that you could play baseball with and i'd see a commercial that oh that'd be cool to get us a bunch of guys together and play that why don't you just play with a real ball And he just jumped your butt for, you know, whatever.
0: (laughs) Where's your dad from? He seems like a a Pittsburgh guy. or something.
3: No, he is from Kansas, Northwest Kansas and grew up on a farm where he was going, you know, he do farm work in the morning, go to school, come home, do farm work, play sports, all that stuff. So having us entitled lazy kids who didn't have to do any of that stuff, I'm pretty sure it kind of got under his skin. But he'd send us up to some. He sent us up there for the summer every now and then, and make sure we we're there to do some work. So he, he wanted us to have that experience. But yeah,
0: well, your dad. I can tell you. You know, you always say, "I wonder how old were you when you kind of felt like you could uh, you could handle your dad if a fight uh, broke we'll, out." And we'll I let can you. We'll let
3: you know. Yeah, <laughs> I was say, that dude's scary. Uh, he's had some hip. He's had some hip surgery and some back stuff. I think if I move a little, now I'll get tired real quick. But I think if I move a little bit, I could probably take him.
2: I bet you can't uh. bull rush him.
3: No, no, I can't do that. <laughs> his feeder, he came, uh, he came and, you know, talked some football with us during the year this year and was doing some footwork demonstration for our offensive line coach, Chris, and, uh, which he kept. Coach Chris. I said, that's a different story. Our offensive line coach is Brandon, and his last name is Mikowachik, and he, we call him Mick. And so I told Dad that, and he kept calling him Chris. And I say <laughs> Chris and I'm telling you for a, for five for 15, 20 minutes he called him Chris and you corrected him at least code.
0: 20 times. <laughs> Every least. time he'd say it he'd say Chris, you got it and you go it's Mick.
3: And Mick is such a Mick is such a great person <laughs> that yes, He throwing stuff in doesn't say a word about it, just never corrects him just lets him <laughs> do it. But finally mom's over, mom's on the couch while Dad's going over with others and she goes, will you tell him? So so I told him, but dad's showing us footwork stuff. And that 77 year old guy can still move those feet pretty quick. Actually, Yeah. He can move.
2: Knows how to get his hands inside too. So he's going to have leverage on you.
3: Yes, sir. I bet.
0: Lance, did you ever do any breakdown films of Mike?
2: No, I wish I could get some though.
0: Yeah. I I wish I could get some, I was (laughs) going to ask you, I'd love to watch it.
2: I wish I get some old nickel stuff, but I, no, I don't, I don't know that I could find any old 20 all 22 stuff from the early nineties.
3: No, we still have tapes with potatoes.
2: Yeah. I can't. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to get to it, but I do have people. I do have high schoolers all the time who, uh, send me their huddle stuff or oh, you take a look at this like no i got a bunch of other stuff to do i don't have time to look at you well, i'm glad you cleared right that up
0: because matt had told me he was going to send you some of his film
1: and- <laughs> i've already got it clipped all i just gotta do is send just let me know he's got
0: some cool some cool music to it too so it, it's enjoyable
2: i yeah, did a- um i actually did write up a guy I, I did look at his huddle stuff he was i didn't look at his huddle stuff it's a guy from some he actually is in the he's at an Ivy league school right now and he's hitting a transfer portal and he was a cornerback and he said, Hey, I wanted to see what you thought. And I get this stuff all the time, but it's just happened to be a day where I, I figured I had a little time. I said, let me look. And he sent me his huddle stuff. And I, you know, I don't even look at that cause I've got tape. So I want to go see the real tape. I'm not going to look at just, you know, your highlights of, of whatever you think you have. I want to go look at it for real. So I did. And I, and I just told him in direct message, some of the strengths and weaknesses I saw from his stuff, but I get it. I get that a lot. I get, I get people asking me to look at their, their kids, you know, Hey, look at my son here. He's a, you know, he's a sophomore center in high school. And I just think I I do not have time to look at your sophomore son. I'll look at him in five to six years. If he's, if he's a draft prospect, more
3: than likely you will not look at him more than likely. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
2: Odds are, I will not ever look at, 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 uh, at your son, but, Um, you know, from time to time I'll do, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll humor someone and just take a quick look at that.
0: I got a great Uh video. I guarantee you'll watch. We had a punt returning competition (laughs) amongst the coaches and your brother is, I mean, it's the way he moved his feet and got underneath that thing. It's a natural, natural. I don't know if he played punt returner or not, but he Uh should have, they missed out.
3: I'm just telling you this. I caught two of the three, whereas we have a defensive end who played two years in the NFL, and he was not able to do the same. So,
2: that's you know, good point. What, they I, just put it in the a just jug's playing, gun and shot it up there?
3: Yeah. One of the stories with Lance, is funny because it's about a, about three or four months ago, you know, I still keep up with some of the guys that i coached at other places, and there's a running back who played for us. Uh, when I was at he he's at Arkansas now, and I thought he was coming out this year for the draft. He just ended up transferring to TCU for his last year. But um, I said, Lance, take a take a look at him real quick. And within the first three minutes, he goes, ooh, not good hips. Ooh, then I'm like, oh man, these kids, When he strikes that up, his family is going to destroy me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this.
2: <laughs> I'm just glad he's staying in one more year, so I can put it off.
1: Yeah, me too. Thank you. <laughs> I, well, growing up with your dad, who he, who he is, and you guys growing up and maturing and and becoming men in the game within the game, you guys probably been able to experience some pretty cool stuff over the years, right? I mean, going with dad, what's some of the coolest things you guys got
2: to do? Well, I mean, for me, the coolest things were going to to watch guys from Majama. I mean, being able to watch one of the most exciting college basketball programs of all time, and seeing you know two future Hall of Famers and Clyde Drexler and and Akeem Olajuwon was just I thought it was just incredible. I mean, that was the most fun that I that I could do. But I think, you know, having as Mike mentioned, having players come over the, the, the players who couldn't who couldn't go to uh, who couldn't go home for Thanksgiving. My dad would invite them over. You know, it turns out it was illegal at the time, which is, you know, <laughs> in and of itself is so stupid kids who can't uh, afford to get home. But you couldn't. That's that's considered an, an illegal uh, benefit to to go over and have uh, Thanksgiving dinner at a coach's house. And yeah. he just you know, I think that's he just right. said, we're going to take oh, care of these kids. When the
3: NCAA uh, investigator came in and asked us about that, my mom told him it was a stupid rule. So, that was, that was <laughs> yeah, we, had, we
2: actually had an NCAA investigator come talk to our dad. We had to stay outside and shoot baskets for a while. David Burris. Really? Yeah. It was nerve wracking. Here's one another main cool. guys who
3: took down SMU. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For ah, sure. Here's another time
3: one too. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, right around the same time. Yeah. But look, the U of H one was probably a little bit earlier. Wow.
2: Yeah. yeah. But we wow. also got to go watch Carl Lewis in his prime. Um, yeah. oh, We yeah. saw him quite a bit at U of H because Carl Lewis was there. So, uh, you know, going to track meets and watching Carl Lewis sprint and, and compete in and long jump was really cool. But of course, I mean, the, the best was going to a Super Bowl that my dad coached in. We, we were both at, at the Super Bowl, um, kind of off the end zone, um, we're, we're about the goal line, somewhere between the 10-yard line, about the 10-yard line, and in the end zone where Antonio Holmes yeah. caught oh, the I touchdown pass it. and...
3: My wife and I were finger. in the end zone right below the boat because we, we had, I mean, just to get tickets, we had to split ourselves up. So we didn't sit. With oh, Nancy. I
2: forgot about that. Yeah.
3: And so we sat there and we, I was like right there, had that eye, bird's eye view of when he caught the ball. But uh, we went to, but yeah, we... the Super Bowl was the Super Bowl was awesome. And then going, you know, being able to go in there and share that with the whole family. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my we have a sister who lives in Indianapolis and a guy that she used to be married to was there. Uh, Cottonball, refer to him as. But uh, you know, Lance's wife was there. My my wife was there, and uh, our our uh, uh, step aunts were there. Mm-hmm. And it was just a it was a great time. And it, the best part about that though, it was like the culmination for Dad because he. I mean, it's like Lance said. He started off. He started off uh, fought in Vietnam and came back. Played at Fort Hays State in Kansas and messed his shoulder up and then started on his co- co- coaching thing. And I'm going to tell you, Lance and Dad, the reason those two are so successful, and I don't know if I've ever told them this, though, so, is they neither one of them did their stuff conventionally. A lot of those guys who get to the NFL, they know people ahead of time. My dad started off as a high school coach in Abernathy, Texas.
2: Junior high coach. Yeah.
3: Junior high coach, and worked his way all the way up. When he decided to go to U of H, he was a high school coach at Lamar Consolidate. He took a volunteer job to do it. He, you- he bet... He bet on himself. You're not then, even – yeah, you're not even I'm telling just all just the story. The, the, I'm just giving the the cliff notes. But the, yeah. what, what I want to say is Lance and, and Dad, what they do is they bet on themselves and they take risks. Lance Lance didn't go to journalism school or anything like that. He he grinded and hustled to get where he was, and he's put himself on the limb a few times to take chances to do what he does. And that's why those two are so successful is, is they, they see what they want to do they bet on themselves. They have the the forethought to do it, and you know it's it's impressive how those two have done it. And you know, I I, I got I got uh, an award one time for back in the day that said coaching makes a difference. And when the guys interviewed me, they asked about my brother and about him, and I said, you know, I, I and I joke about it. I'm known as Larry's son and Lance's brother, but I'm good with that because I would. I mean, uh, if I'm going to be connected to two people, those are the two I want to be connected to.
1: That's good company, for
0: sure. Kind of make me feel bad because, you know, earlier, Matt, you asked me who we have on tonight, and I talked about Lance and stuff, and I I couldn't get a word in edgewise till now. We've also got Mike Zerline on tonight, and <laughs> <laughs> Mike's a big-time ball coach. He's been a head coach and uh, great uh, works with us at Tom Ball, and he's a stud. He really is. I give him a hard time. Just because it's fun, but he uh, he he really is a great coach and uh, been head coach. Where were you? Uh, you were at uh, Austin Aikens and Clear
3: Springs. Austin Aikens and Clear Falls.
0: Clear Falls, got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yep. So
3: it's funny because uh, Kevin gave me a hard time about this. You know, we had that great run this year, and those things are so awesome. And I and I, t- I told him. He said, "How many is this for you?" I said, "It's a fourth semifinal I've been at." And He went, "Wow!" And I said, "You know how many playoffs I've been to?" Seven. In 27 years, I've been – because I've been to some tough tough spots, but in 27 years, I've been to the playoffs seven times. But of those seven times, I've been to the state semifinals four times and I had a chance to win a state championship and lose in a state championship game too. So, you know, it, I've, I, I, I don't get there. It's like the Dos Equis guy. I don't get to the playoffs much, but when I do, I make a run.
2: Well, and, <laughs> but that also speaks to – Mike has gone through that many years where he's had some lean times – and my dad, Mike talked about the culmination of him at the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl, but he coached him some, he had some rough teams that he was on. Like, you know, he was at LSU when the going wasn't that good. He was only there a couple of years because, um, you know, he came in midway at the midway point under Curly Hallman, and Hallman only lasted a couple of years, so he was only there a couple of years. He's a two lane when, you know, they weren't that great. He was, um, uh, Cincinnati was okay. Uh, U of H, he got in when it was good at the very beginning. It was, you know, really good, but then it got a little bit rougher. And so, Cleveland Browns, you know, they they just they they didn't perform up to standard. Um, it was <clears throat> so the Pittsburgh game was almost like going to the Super Bowl was almost like that years of of hard 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 work, and we had seen it. I mean, waking up it coming you know, we didn't see him. He was gone by the time we woke up and by the time we went to bed, he wasn't there. And so it got even worse when he was, it got a lot worse because in college, you know, he had to go travel and do recruiting and stuff like that. But once he got in the pros, he was waking up in the middle of the night, trying to write up cards, you know, figure out different blitz packages and, and get his players as prepped as you can. And there's only so much you could do. His preparation was uh, impeccable, but there's only so much prep you can do. Eventually your players have to be able to execute. So you know, to see him go through the things that he went through and how hard it was and how many teams that where he didn't have a lot of talent to coach and work with um, then to win a Super Bowl was, was really great, you know, and I know Mike has been through some of the same, this, the same things where it, it creates, it creates uh, the adversity, you know, creates character if you can get through it and, and come out on the other end. So, you know, I was really excited. I was in Chicago this year we had a plan to go see some friends in Chicago and, and then, you know, you guys made the playoffs, which we knew you had a chance to make the playoffs, but because of the start, but you know, the expectations I don't think were real high that you go too deep. Well, as the playoffs went on, you know, we fly to Chicago and I'm watching, I, I, I rent, uh, uh, I can't remember what the website is, but I paid, you know, I paid my fee so I could watch the games and I've, I'm standing outside waiting to get into some kind of bar in the afternoon <laughs> watching you guys beat who was the team that you beat where their quarterback was out and you guys just Bridgman. scored Bridgman. Really scored like 28 I I was trying to I was going between that game and Alabama Georgia in the SEC Championship game. So I'm watching Alabama SEC I'm outside and it's 33 degrees. I got Alabama waiting to get into this Christmas bar or something. I got Alabama and Georgia then I'd switch my 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 – I'd toggle my browser over to watch you guys in the playoffs, and, uh, you know, once you won that, I knew I was going to – I was excited because I knew I'd be able to. And then the next week, I couldn't go to the game because there was – I think it was the next week I couldn't go because we had something no, going on with one of the kids. the next week is the one
3: you did – the next week is the one you did come to, <clears throat> one yeah, of the jinxing. two that you came to, and we yeah. were up with two with you there, so you were banished.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah good right. knowing you lance don't come I, back buddy I,
2: I drove all the way up to waco me and my son same day we had a hotel room and at halftime i said you know what i'm just gonna burn that hotel room up and i'm just going home because we got a long drive and i gotta
3: you could got have to do in the morning. In the
2: <laughs> and my dad said lancey you can just go thanks for making the effort to come out here i said he said even if you stayed mike we we may or may not even see mike he said he ain't gonna be any mood to talk to anybody at this point. So, yeah. So I made it out there, and uh, actually, no. Yeah, you lost both of the games I went to this year. Yeah, right. you
3: you were at the Klein Oak game. I think the one you were watching when you were in um when you were in Chicago. I thought you were watching the Rockwall Heath game.
2: Yeah, the quarterback who was out.
3: No, no, no. That would have been then. That would have been the week before.
2: What's the game where y'all scored a bunch of points all at once that with the brilliant. onside kick with the fake punt?
3: bridge that's bridge okay
2: that's what I watched because I yeah. I saw the fake punt which you know my dad wasn't sure he loved that idea and I said I think it's a great idea because if you don't do that you lose that momentum you had built and so I was a big fan of it and he goes well, yeah I guess that was I guess well, that was a pretty good to call. Look to do it,
3: so tell tell dad to look at some film before he starts
2: critiquing. Yeah, no, he's a typical <laughs> fan talking without even knowing anything.
1: Uh, Lance, my, I was talking with Mike yesterday, and he said that you had to work seven days a week to keep up with him as far as football
2: knowledge. Is that true? Overtime, I have to work, up, work, work to keep <laughs> up with him. No, I mean, look, I tell people this all the time. Sometimes people get confused. Lance, why didn't you – <clears throat> why don't you ever want to coach? You want to go coach? No, I know how hard it is. <laughs> I like working easier. <laughs> I like, I sit in a chair all day. This is easy. I don't have kids <laughs> yelling at me and parents yelling at me at school. <laughs> it's it's way easier. I, I have it at home, but, um, <laughs> but no, I, um, people get confused. I'm, I've gotten pretty good at evaluating talent. That's a whole different thing than coaching. They're, they're not the same. They're two different disciplines. And so, I don't know the X's and O's like people probably think I do. I mean, I I know some, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a coach. I mean, that's a different, that's a different job. It's a different discipline. And, and so I'm a, I'm a talent evaluator. I understand X's and O's. I understand different concepts, but I still am learning. Like I still like to learn from coaches with, for my evaluation, because the more I talk to guys who coach the position, the more I can, the more I can take in what it, takes and what it means to play a wide receiver position or rush the passer what what do you you know what do you want to do with his hands like what should I look for with hand usage and what are some different rush moves and counters and things like that and so the more you talk to coaches the better you're going to be from an evaluation standpoint yet interestingly enough what a lot of NFL scouts and general managers will tell you is that a lot of times believe it or not the coaches on the staff are not very good evaluators um that's also a tougher one, too, for them, because, number one, they, they see things that are right now. They don't project as well. They don't project tra- traits, and sometimes they just look at things that will – what will save my ass right now. And a lot of times, that's not ultimately who the best player is going to be in five years. You're looking at the guys who are most ready, the guys who are the safest, the guys who are the smartest – but it doesn't mean that you're going to have the best player on your hands. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a different thing. It's a different philosophy of how you look at it.
1: That makes sense. If you think about it, there's like major league baseball scouts and they none of them are coaches, same concept. They see things from a different angle, right? Yeah.
2: Co- yeah. Yeah. I think so. And it, you know, in basketball too, uh, I think when you coach basketball, I, I think football and baseball are actually different than basketball because, Fo- baseball is really a projection sport because you deal with so many players who are much younger, a lot of times, 18 years old in football. Like I may see a guy who, and I learned under a lot of phil from a philosophy standpoint under Chris Ballard, who was, you know, who's the GM of the Colts now. And Ballard used to listen to my radio show and I got to know Ballard back in 2004. And so I've, I've known him for a while. <clears throat> and he taught me that you've got to look for traits. Like you've got to look for guys who are, height, weight, speed, long, there are certain traits that if they are coached properly can develop into high end output, as opposed to guys who don't have traits and who are, who are under the mark of what you look for. There's, there's only, um, in most cases, and it's been shown, they're only going to get to a certain level. Now it's okay to, to, to have players who maybe aren't as fast, not as big and all that. And you can certainly win at different levels. But once you get to the pro level, if you have too many players with with physical exceptions or uh, at some point mental exceptions, if you have a quarterback who doesn't process well, uh, speed exceptions at cornerback or whatever, it starts to get you beat. And so you might be able to survive in college or be a good college player. You may be able to thrive on the high school level. But if you don't have those traits, it can be hard to play at a high level so you know that's that's one of those things that you that that is different because coaches may say well I don't care about this guy being a long-arm guy if, if he can't play and sometimes the guy's not ready to play when you're coaching him it's still two or three years down the road he's still growing into his body Lance what do you think
0: um I heard er- Urban Meyer talk about um he was uh I don't know if he was Ohio State Florida where he was but he was talking about a particular staff in the NFL, how they had come to him and really talked to him about a guy that they were talking about drafting and stuff. And, and the comment he made was, it was amazing how many staffs don't do that and don't really do their homework and so forth. Uh, not asking names or anything, but are you, do you see that? I mean, uh, or do you just kind of you're on the outside looking at? I wonder why they t- picked that kid or anything. Where some staffs seem to do a really good job, and then there's others that just you wonder what are they doing? Did do they really do their homework?
2: Yeah, I think uh, it's, it has less to do with the staff necessarily than it does. Uh, well, if you say staff, meaning scouting staff, yeah. So what it, what typically happens is whoever is the regional scout there, his job your your job as a scout is is it's different from organization to organization, like the Patriots are notorious where, you know, you're a, you're an information gatherer and then you push that information forward and they handle the rest of it. Um, other, other programs, they like guys who can, you know, really evaluate, but pretty much all of the teams, your first job is to be private investigator. Your first job is to get in there and find out what kind of personality does a kid have? Is he a hard worker? Is he a bullshit artist? Uh, what are the injuries look like in his background? What was he like in high school? Does he go to school? Does he, you know, you got, you got to find out a lot of stuff because you're doing a character profile of a makeup, uh, a mental makeup and character profile of the player in a limited amount of time. So you really lean heavily on that regional scout uh, to get as much information as possible. And once you have that, and some of that is, you know, I talked to scouts at senior bowl they would talk about how a player acted in practice. They they just kind of they're sitting observing how does a player behave? Is he an alpha? Is he tough? Is he working in practice? Does he, you know, does he kind of screw off in practice or can is his intensity good? They're constantly making mental notes that they go down and put in their computer and and then they bring it forward to the front office. And then what happens is, you know, the scouts will continue to talk to them, and then you'll have players come in for interviews and they'll talk to the the players. But then, you know, coaches like a coaching staff, if you've got a staff who a guy who knows the coach on there that, you know, they will go down into the collegiate level and they go get the information coach to coach. Sometimes you may have, you know, the the important guys on the staff, uh, a defensive coordinator and a position coach may come down. It may be a defense coordinator and a general manager may come down and talk to you. Uh, but then the player, of course, once once you got all that information, Then the players, once they get to, for example, the combine, they'll come into a room with the team and a team will will be ready to ask them questions. They'll be ready to test them to see if they're willing to lie about something they've already got information on. They'll challenge them on certain things. Um, They're trying to find out positive things or, 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 you know, they'll share positive things too. It's not always just breaking the guys down, being negative. But really, um, it's a fact-finding process, the good organization's. We'll all do that at a much deeper level. And it's it's how you create um, contacts inside the building like Chris Ballard was great at knowing who to go to at University of Texas when he was a, a regional scout here for the Chicago Bears. He knew to go to Jack Marucci, who was you know, who's still at LSU now, who does all the baseball bats, and he's now the performance coach over there. He knew who to go to. They trusted him. And making those contacts, that's how you get the real information about who these guys really are. So what Urban was talking about really is uh, some teams don't go deep enough, and some teams do. And the ones who do have a better chance of avoiding certain players and spotlighting other players.
0: It's always Mike knows even in high school, you get uh, we'll get a questionnaire and stuff about a guy that they're looking at in the draft or something. that has got a chance and we'll get a we'll get a questionnaire with questions and so forth. And uh, just a character reference and some of that stuff. I had so. Jerry
2: Angelo, who's the um, general manager of the Bears. One of the things that he felt was very important for for the scouts, um, you know, in Chicago was he wanted them to go all the way back to the high school and go take a look at their attendance records because he wanted to see if guys were at school, wow. um, if they were you know, suspended, if they cut school, if they ditch school, if they were absent a lot, he went, cause he thought that was just another, a potential indicator of whether or not a guy would be good at, at, at showing up on practice and just showing up on time at, at a repetitive rate over the course of a season. And, and I thought that was interesting that they went all the way back just to check attendance records
1: yeah let me ask you guys i want to get all y'all's opinion on this uh you know people say i've I've heard multiple people say this and i don't know the answer to this so maybe you guys can help me shed some light on this like how, how does i guess i don't know obviously tom brady of college wasn't the tom brady of pro how does somebody become that or and not fly under the or do they fly under the radar and not get picked up and not start and and then all of a sudden be this guy that Blossoms into you know what arguably might be the greatest ever. How does what happens between that time?
2: You know I me. Mean? I'll I'll jump in on it. Yeah. Supposedly, anybody. Tom Tom was here's what I've heard. He was sharing time. <coughs> I can't remember who the quarterback was at the time, but he uh, was wasn't sharing. Henny, was it? it? Chad Henny? No, it's before so, Henny. Drew Henson, I think. That oh, Henson, up Henson. Henson. that's right. Yeah, Henson. It was Drew Henson, and Henson had all the physical makeup. And the physical traits and Tom didn't. And so he was obviously the guy that, that they were really pointing towards. And so Tom just didn't have um he, he, they said there were some flashes of a guy who could be a good quarterback, but it was kind of, it's almost like what happened with Joe Burrow. You didn't see this coming with Joe Burrow until it just all of a sudden popped up in 2019. And remember at Michigan, you know, if Joe Burrow had been at Michigan when Tom, Brady was in 1999. They're not throwing the ball a whole lot. So, so a guy like um, Joe Burrow, who we know right now, the guy, same guy who threw 60 touchdowns his last year and won the Heisman, was the first pick, is now in the Super Bowl in (coughs) his in his second year. You know, if you'd put him on the 99 Michigan Wolverines, the same thing would have been the case. He would have been in an offense that's very conservative. It's run oriented. And you wouldn't have seen his his makeup. You wouldn't have seen his mental makeup, his competitive makeup. You would have seen it, but only in bits and pieces because he would have been a game manager. So now, fast forward, if Tom Brady had been with Joe Brady at LSU, we may have seen that version of Tom Brady even earlier because it's more wide open passing and the mental part, being able to recognize, you know, on those combo routes where the safety is the safety gonna bite down on the route, or is he going to back up and play the go? And, and, you know, Joe Burrow is excellent at reading, say at making those single reads quickly and getting it out. And he's a very fast mental processor. And so, uh, I think Tom Brady had that in him. You know, I think it was something he had in him. I heard uh, Ted Johnson once told a story. He was on that new England Patriot team. And, uh, he said that when drew Bledsoe went out and Tom Brady came in, you know, one of the things that was happening, he talked to one of the offensive linemen and he said, you know, this Brady kid is just kind of a, he's, he's, he's kind of a dork. Like he's just (laughs) yelling at us. Come on guys, we can do it. We can. And he was all rah, 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 but you still felt like he really believed in himself, but they didn't really believe in him. He's the fifth round pick from Michigan who was a, uh split time as a quarterback. And so they didn't really buy into him all the way, but Tom Brady fully believed in himself. And as he picked up steam, and I think the same thing can be said with Aaron Rodgers when he came in uh and started playing because he wasn't he wasn't Aaron Rodgers you know right now, but they have is just in an immense amount of personal confidence and and high self esteem. And Tom Brady after a while to to. Ted Johnson said, you know, he's a linebacker on those Patriots teams. He said, we just started to realize that there's something about this kid that he believed in himself. We, we started to believe in him, not that he was going to be some great quarterback, that he was good enough to help the Patriots continue to win. And I think that just became a, a snowball that really just, just that went forward. But I think the real key is that he kept working on his game well beyond what he was when he came out. It's not like just uh, how did that Tom Brady become this Tom Brady? Because he spent so much time working on his game. And frankly, that Tom Brady was pretty good until 2007 and Randy Moss came there and he just took off again. And then Brady had some up and down patches at times, especially when Rob Gronkowski wasn't out. But every off season, he's working on generating velocity with his lower body. He's going and learning everything he can about nutrition He's all in on nutrition. He's all in on his work ethic. He's working on his lower body so that he can create even better velocity. And I'll tell you right now, I thought in 2020, he threw the ball with v- better velocity than he did in 2007. Like he had learned technically how to He go see Tom House and John Beck and those guys. And they, you know, he learned, he, he, he embraced technology. He embraced diet. He embraced recuperation. And then he embraced, uh, he embraced training methods that helped to improve his weaknesses. So that's how he became this Tom Brady through a shitload of work. Oh, and I, thought
1: was, I thought it was because of Giselle. I, I didn't know if there was
2: just like a I mean up. some of that, <laughs> but I think it was the other thing brought Giselle in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, hey, that's a serious when, you, you know, you'll work hard if you got a chance to end up with a supermodel. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. When you're talking about that <laughs> at the college level, you know, you're talking about there's better athletes than others and then and when you get to the NFL I think they're all it all kind of equals out now you're gonna have this the freaks out there like the Michael vicks of the world and those guys so it, it turns into who's gonna who's gonna treat this like a job and that's what Tom Brady's done over the years I mean taking care of his body and all that but the the amount of time he spends in the film room is legendary and understanding where the coverages are understanding what's that and being able to tell everybody what to do I mean, you know, Manning was the same way, and that—that's why they are able to to take off over others because they put. I mean, it's their job, it's their career, it's what they want to do, and it's not something that they do from, you know, nine to five. It's it's all day for them, and I think that has something to do with it too. Because you're you're you kind of hit a peak as an athlete when you get to a certain age, so you have to keep you know doing different things, and I think that's what he's done.
2: Yeah, he. It's not a job though; it's an obsession. Yeah, true, true. I mean, for Michael Jordan, it was an obsession. I think for LeBron James, it's an obsession. I think for Tom Brady, it's an absolute. For Tiger Woods, they are just wired differently, and it's an obsession. And so they, they're they driven by something that's bigger than money. It's bigger than just championships. I mean, Tom Brady was driven by legacy, and he's just so competitive. Getting back to your question about, well, who is the more competitive of you guys? When, well, I I don't think we were special from a competitiveness. We we wanted to win, but I don't think either of us had that you know crazy dog attitude whenever we played necessarily. Which is why I truly appreciate when I see it. Like when I see guys who are dogs, I really appreciate it. I recognize it. I don't take it for granted. And I think the fact that Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were really head to head, you know year after year. I don't know. I think Brady's the, the best that's ever played. I don't know. It's Manning. I think Manning this year, you know, is the best that's ever played. I think Tom Brady's so unbelievably competitive that he wanted to stomp Manning's. He just wanted to stomp Manning. The 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 idea that, that Manning was better than him after he had his 50 touchdown year or whatever it was when he was with the Broncos. I think Brady just, that's the kind of thing that drove him to say, absolutely. I am not going to let this be the narrative that lives with people. That's just not going to happen.
3: And that's Lance talking about dogs. That's a, that's a great point because you know, Ke- Kevin's done this for years and he could probably pick out a handful and I can pick out a handful. And the reason we made our run this year is because of the competitive nature of the guy we had pulling the trigger. I, I mean, I've been around some great ones and I've been around uh, two brothers who were the Mar consolidated who were five foot seven and played in the NFL because they were such competitors And Kale Hellams was on that level, too. And it's just that's, you know, those are the type of traits that that you need. And that's, you know, all that other stuff is great. But if you have that ultra competitive attitude like that, it's it. They'll take you far.
2: But I'll ask you guys as coaches. I mean, isn't that what you remember? Don't you get don't you just get a kick out of and you hate it when those guys leave? But don't you get a kick when you go home and you've seen somebody who just competes like that? It's just something that really you feed off of because you know that not everybody in in sports has that. And as a matter of fact, there's a smaller slice of that than people really realize, uh, the people who are ultra competitive. And so when you see it, even if they're not the best players, when you see that mentality, it really, um, as a coach, as a father, as somebody who's observing, you really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You guys definitely had that. And and Kale, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna change the sport on you. But so it's the same thing. You know, Kevin likes to make fun of me because I'm the softball coach. But the other night we had our first scrimmage of the season, and uh, I've got this freshman that's there, and uh, she she got welcomed to uh, high school softball in, in in Texas, and girl hit a ball that's still going, and uh, you know went yard on her. So I went out to the mound to meet her at the next inning, and I say, hey, keep your chin up you know, it's all good. She goes, we talking about, so, you know, that hit, don't worry about it. This is a freshman. Now she said, coach, I struck the other two bitches out. It's fine. It's happened to me. And I'm thinking I've got this girl for four years. That's exactly what I want is I want that bulldog on the
2: mound. That's great thing is it's not just male. I mean, there's plenty yeah. of females who are absolute dogs. Yeah. I got a wife that is, you know, so, I mean, you know, it's, uh, my wife will my wife decided she want to start running marathons when she was 45 years old or 44 years old. And she's she qualified for the Boston Marathon. Oh, um, wow. what's, yeah. the time, what's the time you have to have to qualify for that? She she beat her best time. She ran a three forty seven, three hours oh, and forty seven. Her personal best had been like four oh nine. And she beat it by over 20 minutes. And uh, now she's got no cartilage in her left knee, unfortunately. She's she's grade four, so she's bone on bone. She Ooh. doesn't care. She said, "I qualified for Boston two years ago before COVID. Three years ago, yeah. I'm finally able to run it, and I'm running it. So tomorrow, she's running 13 miles, bone on bone knee. She just ices up, she tapes up, and gets through it. And then she'll, uh, you know, and then she'll she's gonna get ready and and go run Boston. So that's
1: no uh, that's that's no joke either. That's what that's what Patriots Day." Yeah, right there. Usually, uh, right around opening day, right? It is. Yeah, that woman is amazing, and she's about the most
3: intense person in the world when it comes to watching her Texas Longhorns. Mm. It's a scary situation at the house this past year for my brother. I'm, I literally feared for him because oh. when they were playing the way they were playing this year, she's not a happy camper.
2: Well, and I make comments he, too that make it yeah, worse. He, but you shake the cocaine, like, huh? I was impressed with
0: her until you mentioned that whole deal about the. <laughs> longhorns and now obviously there's a chink in the armor there's a character fall so i mean everybody's got them it's okay but 347 is impressive i think that's that matt didn't you do the 5k last week in 347
1: it was a it was a 10k thank you and watch it i thought we weren't gonna talk about that but uh (laughs) Guys, I, Flanagan makes fun of me all the time. We didn't even get into like the stuff, I, Lance. I know you're super busy. I, I I appreciate you doing this. I I I could talk to you guys about this, and I want to hear you guys go back and forth. So, Flan always makes fun of me though, because I always ask our good guests, like, promise me you'll do this again. Let's 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 do this again. And uh, so <laughs> he always makes fun of me for asking that. But I'm gonna do it anyway. You guys got we got to do this again. I want to yeah, get into yeah. the weeds with you guys. Just get sure. me
2: after April. There you go. After,
0: after after April we'll go Mike, Lance and Larry Zerline. We want the big
2: dog on. Yeah, you should you should I'm not
3: definitely sure you get him. How to work that computer thing. And yeah. your
2: wife apparently We'll do it in Lance. person. Uh, she ain't gonna she my wife won't do it. <laughs> yeah. Lance <laughs> yeah.
0: won't do it in person cuz he got to do Zoom, but if Larry says, "Hey, here's what we're doing." I got a feeling He'll find time to get
2: there. <laughs> <laughs> as, long, as long as Larry's in control and can hear you, his hearing's not as good as it once was. Like, oh, I can't hear these guys. I'm getting off of this thing. <laughs> we'll bring Chris with us. Yeah, that so. would work.
3: Yeah, Chris. He can help Chris.
2: Hey, Lance, before yeah, you good.
3: go now, we're getting
2: close to the Super Bowl. Predictions, what we got? Yeah. Um, I like the Rams, just the matchup issue for for Cincinnati. You got Jalen Ramsey who can travel and around the field and cover uh jamar chase so you take away burrow's number one option even though joe spreads the ball around but cj uzma is tight ends also you know beat up with the knee injury um and then you know the main thing is you just have an offensive line that struggles to protect well now you've got you got vaughn miller uh Leonard Floyd and most importantly Aaron Donald, and you can move those guys anywhere you want on that front. And so, I just don't think they can protect Burrow long enough to uh, to if you can take away his top receiving option and then deploy your rushers in any way that you want to. I just I don't know how the Bengals are going to counter that. I think it's going to be hard. So I like I like the Rams. I think it's going to be a little lower scoring game. I think something like uh um twenty eight. Twenty-eight, nineteen, twenty-four, nineteen, or something like that,
3: you which definitely
0: it. means I'm picking the Bengals. Yeah, Mike, who, who you got? Mike, you got the Bengals? I, I do now.
1: If he never watched one game of football in his life, did you not learn anything about Mike right now? It's
2: because of Lance who he picked.
3: I did. I do agree with Lance. am watching that right guard for the Bengals, and I'm sure Lance knows his name. I don't, but he he's was- a listener, Jackson
2: he's Carmen, a listener to the he show, was- Mike. He was, uh, he was getting destroyed a new by Houston area right after this, yeah. so be careful. But he's a Clemson tackle who is—he was
3: getting destroyed you know. by old Chris Jones from the Chiefs, and if they line up Aaron Donald on him. Oh my goodness!
1: And, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that also two of my Georgia Bulldogs are playing in the powered offense for the Rams: Matthew Stafford and uh, Tony Michelle. So that was Tony Michelle. Michelle. Thank you. Yes. So I, I, I'll, what do you got, Flay? What's your prediction?
0: Who day? Who Zach's a buddy of mine, and so I That's am going all in on the Bengals. Zach's a
2: great guy. He is an awesome guy. I'm glad he got a – I'm glad they gave him a little bit more time. Me it was too. a less – if it was a less thrifty organization who doesn't want to cut guys early and have to pay off those contracts, he might have He might have yeah. been cut by now if you just sit and listen to the fans, but he's – He was a guy that just needed a little bit more. He just needed a little bit more to work with and need a little bit more time. But I thought his demeanor. I've talked to him a couple times and just thought, man, this is a guy who's got the right demeanor.
1: All right, Lance, I'm going to go. We're going to go ahead and end this. And then afterwards, I'm going to pick your brain on uh, the projected pool because you can go online and bet. And gamble on, on, on the, the, the draft. And so I'm going to get your. We'll go with on it. And Those uh, props aren't out yet. I already looked. We'll go ahead and, and we'll beat the system. And I, I think I've got a plan. Put that together. There's our first sponsorship right there. We'll uh, pay for the show. You got right. it. Right. We'll see you Man. guys. Thank you guys. Take care.